0: Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. Our first exercise here in the Eccentric Minute is the K-Box Squat, this is the granddaddy of all of them guys, one that we use at all levels of our training with a vast array of athletes. A couple big tips, I like to use a, something for our hands to support it, make sure that strap is completely taut at the top, don't leave it short, don't leave it long. What I really like the most about it guys, the iso-inertial wheel. We're going to use this with other squats as well. The other squats are working to depth. These, we're going to get to an athletic position and work our way up. Push hard and make sure you're fighting to hit that breaking force. As we cut reps, we usually cut depth as well to make it a little bit more transferable to what we do. This is an awesome exercise that I can't recommend enough. Throw it in your training. It's going to be great for you and your athlete. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Before we get to the show, let's play a little game of name association. When I say the names, Hank Krajenhoff, Dr. Natalia Verkashensky, Brett Bartholomew, Dr. Charlie Weingroff, Dr. Brian Mann, and Dr. Fergus Connolly, what do you think? Well, if the answer to that was they each have multiple lectures in the Strength Coach Network, then you would be right. On top of these sensational lectures from these six world leaders, we have well over a 100 additional lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world, along with an extremely active forum where there's coaches from all over the world discussing everything in the strength and conditioning world. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash and you'll get your first month for half price. So either hop over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S, or go ahead and hop down to the notes and click the link below to get your first month at half price. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today guys, we have an absolutely sensational discussion talking the trading of rugby players with Ashley Jones. After a quick little intro, Ashley dives right into his work with the Samoa national team. and Some really interesting lessons that he took from working with that group, including how to handle athletes from a distance and working with coaches from all around the world to make sure that your athletes are best developed and best prepared for competition. And then this leads him right into the the discussion of his role as a coach and the role of his university studies as a teacher and how that impacted him and his methods of teaching and educating and building relationships with the players that he gets to work with. You know, and then we finish off discussing some lessons he's learned along the way and things that have been successful that he's seen at his multiple stops and how they have worked together to keep continuing to mold and build how his philosophy and, and his interaction with athletes has developed. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Ashley, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. That's great, Jay. It's a real pleasure to be here finally on your show.
1: I mean, uh, something that I've looked forward to for a long time, and um very glad that uh, Fergus Conley was able to introduce us.
0: Yeah, man. It, it, Fergus, it seems like everybody is at least... At most, like three steps away from Fergus, so it's really great that he could hook us up. But before we get too far into it, for the, the three quarters of a coach in this planet right now that doesn't know who Ashley Jones is, let's give him the quick little spark notes or, for us, cliff notes version of, you know, who you are and how you got there.
1: Okay, it's probably more like uh, nine-tenths, but... Uh... Um, um, I'm Australian by birth and I currently live in Christchurch, New Zealand, where I've had the uh, pleasure of uh, living since 2003. Uh, Primarily worked in rugby, uh, both union and rugby league, over the last uh, 25 years and uh, at professional level and worked across uh, different countries with different teams and uh, different programs. But uh, my last posting was with the Samoan national team uh, last year, 2018, which I finished up in uh, December. And now I'm one of those, um, those strength and conditioning coaches that are now currently looking for my next uh, gig somewhere around the world, hopefully with rugby. But um, who knows what's coming up. As an older coach, uh, it gets a wee bit harder. But
0: um, hopefully there's still a few more years left in me yet. The Samoan team must have been fun because Samoans have a reputation. So let's talk about that, because you had a little tenure with some other groups before that. Let's talk about, let's start with the Samoans and work our way back. Okay. Those are some um, big boys.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's strength aspects wise, you don't really have to worry too much. Obviously, they're, uh, it's probably less a priority than uh, maintaining some form of uh, metabolic, conditioning with these guys as well Um, I think the biggest problem with the Samoan uh, setup is that if you're any if you're any a half decent rugby player you basically recruited elsewhere in the world so you're playing your um your games in France or the United Kingdom or Australia or New Zealand so um the actual number of uh, players that you have living on Ireland in their senior representative uh 15s team is, is quite low so um you're at the mercy of the different programs around the world as far as uh, what they're currently doing, uh, as far as this, their strength and conditioning programming is concerned. Because as an international uh, strength and conditioning coach, you only get them for a very short window of opportunity. So you really have to prioritize uh, what uh, yourself and the head coach feels is the most uh, most uh, necessity of working on that point in time, which for me is probably putting the rugby uh, way ahead of the strength and conditioning. So you take as a strength conditioning coach, you take pretty much of a back back seat, but you try and work with the head coach to work on a an appropriate uh, week plan to ensure that they're they're um, fresh and ready to go come uh, game day on Saturday, which is is which is a test match in our situations, uh, and then also to make sure everything's reco- everyone's recovered uh, sufficiently, and the guys that aren't playing uh, are topped up appropriately, so they maintain their uh freshness and readiness to actually go when when they're called
0: upon yeah that must be an interesting challenge when you have so many of your players working remotely
1: yeah definitely i think it's um it's all about the development of the relationships with the strength and coaches around the world and uh I think uh, that's ex- that's extremely important in, in any situation, but when you're so remote uh, from the rest of the world as far as um, where your players are, you really have to ensure that you provide them with as much information as you possibly can from the time that they, the players spend with you so they go back to their, their home bases, but also hopefully get a, a two-way street where they can give you some information as, as where they're, where they're travelling and, some um, updates as far as their strength scores and their cardiovascular scores and, and other factors such as that so that you um, when you get them all in, you hit the ground running because again, a, a lot of them haven't lived, well, I mean, even one or two have never actually lived in Samoa. They might be Samoan by um, birth or ancestry, but they're actually been born overseas and, and coming into Samoa, which at this time of the year is still probably around 28 to 30 degrees Celsius and 85 plus percent humidity. They played a, a test match last weekend against Tonga and uh, were fortunate enough to come out on top. A lot of those players had traveled thousands of miles to actually uh, get to that game, and uh, then you have to acclimate to uh, get ready for it because they're not used to those uh, conditions on a normal basis.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a pretty unique struggle to have to go through. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, but
1: it makes the fun of it too because you actually get an opportunity to uh, meet with... Uh, lots of different strength conditioning programs around the world and uh, see what they're doing. But uh, I've always made it uh, a priority in my career to to share as much as I possibly can because I think that actually makes me a better strength conditioning coach because what I'm sharing is what I did last year, not necessarily what I'm going to be doing next year. So it puts the pressure on me to uh, come up with a better program, um, a better way of doing things. looking at like inputs from people like Fergus who's done some wonderful stuff as far as uh, week plans are concerned. I'm, I'm sort of continually looking at what's uh, the best week plan to uh, at least guarantee the best chance of a performance on Saturday and um, because a lot of the traditional rugby programs are are just that. They're steeped in the tradition of the game so they have almost a mandatory Wednesday off and, um, and then come the first session for uh, Thursday morning the the players are, are not necessarily – the heads aren't where their bodies are, so it becomes a challenge in that regard. So, But it's, it's, it's a hard one to break when the
0: tradition of the game is so strong. Yeah, and that's one of the most famous scary sayings ever, right? It's, this is the way we've always done it?
1: Yep, yep. As soon as I hear a coach say that, I, I'm starting to think uh, possibly my tenure in this
0: gig is not very long at all. Yeah, that is a scary statement. So then looking back on that – and that time in Samoa, what was one of the big takeaways that you took with dealing with such a unique type of athlete?
1: I think it just reinforced, um, I'm a high school phys ed teacher by by profession. Um, it's been a long time since i taught in the classroom, but uh, I think it just reinforces the fact that um, everyone learns differently and Athletes are no different than students in that the fact that um, some people learn, or athletes primarily learn kinesthetically or by movement, whereas uh, some players might actually get a lot more from uh, reading something, they might get a little bit more from uh, listening to you, and they might get a lot more from actually viewing um, a video of something. But unless you actually can give the information to the playing group in as many different modalities as possible, you're going to lose a couple of those players along the way, and they won't be. Uh, they'll be a little bit further behind than they should be. So, I think the the big takeaway for working with uh, Samoa last year was to just reinforce the fact that your coaching slash teaching style has to be multivariate and can't be just one format. Otherwise, you actually lose a percentage of the group that you're actually working with. And to in, and to reinforce the fact that you're actually you're coaching the individual. As part of the team, you're not actually coaching the team, but you're actually trying to get each individual uh, physically uh, prepared to, in order for them to be able to express themselves when it comes to game day on Saturday.
0: So let's keep running down that teaching rabbit hole. Cause I think the whole motor learning thing has become really kind of hot and sexy of late. What are some strategies that you had some success with when it came to multiple Teams, can we call it, of educating these men?
1: Oh, I think so. I think I, I love, um, let me see, Lauren Seagrave's quote, uh, quote um, that we educate people, that we train animals. So, and I think that coaching is just an extension of teaching. So you look at probably, it's probably changing a wee bit, and I think that's the biggest um, factor we have to consider as uh, strength and conditioning coaches moving into the 2020s is there, there seems to be less people taking in coaching that had a teaching background. So, uh, and the courses that people are actually undergoing now, they don't seem to have any elements of pedagogy or, or teaching related strategies within those courses. They come to be more pure sports science courses, which is taking away the human element associated with the actual coaching process. So, I think when we look at um, strategies, Obviously, the use of video is is a huge one, particularly in the weight room, and particularly when uh, looking at uh, sprint mechanics and and factors like that, and the ability uh, to actually replay uh, to a player instantaneously after they've finished a set or or uh, or a movement drill to actually show them what they're actually doing, which is sometimes different to what they actually feel they're doing in the first place, because they they basically haven't got that that uh, self awareness some individuals that um, they actually are telling you they're doing it correctly, but when you actually show them on a video, they actually realize that, oh, no, they've, they're uh, kicking their hip out or whatever they're actually doing, performing the movement, and they're not actually um, addressing the the, true, the pure movement. So we can easily put some strategies in place and saying, uh, well, why don't we do a couple of sets of squats with a band around your knees, and you've got some proprioceptive active, activation there as far as keeping the knees, uh, uh, the hips pushed out, the feet pushed out, so they're actually getting a, a proper situation. Um also looking at uh, reinforcing not too many of the players. We're actually read-write sort of guys. So um, we can actually put uh, plans together, but they often require those plans to actually talk through as well. So ensuring that we have uh, a good five-minute situation before every uh, session that we can actually talk through what we're going to be doing. And then having the video to reinforce it, and then obviously the practice takes care of itself as well because we're actually rolling through the actual – uh, exercises or whatever aspect of training we're actually doing at that point in time.
0: I love that because the simple talk-through, show, practice really ticks a lot of boxes when it comes to the teaching realm.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think if if you miss any of them out, then you're you're doing uh, the athlete a disservice and and in the process doing yourself a disservice because you're not actually you're not actually covering all the bases as far as the uh, the learning side of things and. Obviously, we have our own specific teaching styles, and I think uh, that's obviously developed over the years and and various experience that you have and the different cultures you work in and and how you were educated yourself. We tend to sort of revert back to that sort of uh, default mechanism, but you need to sort of expand your horizons, if you like, as far as uh, your teaching styles are concerned so that we we basically cover all the elements and not uh, miss one person out. So that one person might be a key element within your team. And if he's not getting the message, then come game day,
0: he's uh, disconnected from the rest of the group. Yeah, I love that. So then let's just stay within the game then. Because you've had a bunch of different stops. And you talked about how the Samoan guys were a little bit different. So let's talk about a couple of your stops here. What are some of the biggest lessons that Ashley's taken from the game? that have worked in multiple places? I think
1: I think it's simplicity. Um, I think it's it's a really simple game and a simple preparation plan. Um, but it's really sort of connecting with the individual to ensure that um, they're actually working to the best of their ability and maintaining that. And I think that's got a lot to do with the culture of the organization and, and the emphasis that um, you placed on hard work and it's it's not necessarily just hard work for the sake of hard work. It's smart hard work as well. So that um, the simplicity and the individualization, I think, is the key uh, areas that I've been able to uh, implement within each each particular team that I've been working with, irrespective whether it's uh, Stade Francais in, in uh, Paris, France, or whether it's uh, Edinburgh in Scotland, or whether it's uh, the Crusaders in Christchurch. Um, The core of simplicity to get the message across. Varying the methods of teaching. We don't don't give ourselves ourselves enough time as as coaches, coaches, I think, to to have those those conversations with the players before we start. I mean, one of the core elements of my my programming is the fact that I like to have every Monday morning is one-on-ones with uh, the group of players. And it takes me about, most times we have a squad of 45. So it's a fairly manageable squad over the course of um, a month to get through each and every player. And that basically looks at the week plan uh, for the next four weeks, particularly more in-season more in, in than out-of-season. But then we actually look at saying, well, some of the questions I might ask are, who is the best player in your position in world rugby? And it's actually very interesting the fact of no one's ever actually said it's me, it's myself. Uh, there's always someone better in the world of rugby than they consider they are. Some of the even some of the guys that I consider to be the uh, the elite of the game don't consider themselves to be the complete package. So then we say, well, what do we need to do in the next uh, four weeks to work on those key areas and what makes that player so good? It might be. Acceleration. It might be first step quickness. It could be uh, top end speed. It could be agility. It could be uh, more power, more strength, whatever. So then we actually map out the week plan. So that becomes the uh, the individualization plan within the team environment, which I think tends to be the holy grail as far as sports program is concerned. Um, and that's that's trying to get that individual program across within a squad of forty five or or even bigger, which is uh, obviously the key when you're looking at, say, American football squads, when you look at the numbers and saying they're in the 70s and 80s, I believe. So um, that must be a pretty tough tough situation to be in.
0: Yeah, but I think that one common thing and one common theme that you hear from people who have been in games for a while is the idea of the athlete being the PhD of the sport and that their input is more valuable than just about any device you could hook to a bar or a human.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, as an older coach, I think um, I think it's a it's an evolutionary process that you go through. I mean, when I first started, I was probably 95% textbook and 5% uh, asking, asking the players, and now it's probably 95% asking the players and 5% textbooks. So um, in that regards, you sort of learn that the – the player is the most important resource that you have. And uh, most players I've coached over the years have come from from different programs as well. So you've got that benefit of, well, what worked for you in Program X and how can we actually implement that into our program here? Um, what do you need as far as sessions are concerned? So uh, then we can start looking at uh, a couple of options that we can actually put in place to actually Uh, look at what works best for the individual to make them uh, better as a player. Well,
0: and and bringing ideas from other places and other coaches and other programs where people have been, that's a brave move too. I mean, there's a lot of vulnerability in that situation.
1: I I think that's the key, Jay, because I think think young coaches obviously take themselves way too seriously and think that they're the – the be all end all, and um, what they post sometimes on various social media outputs, as far as the the rants that they go on with the emojis they put on there, as things like that. I mean, some of them just are, are hiding some some deep insecurities because they just haven't been experienced enough to actually understand the process. But I think the older you get, the more open you are to to accepting the fact that I don't know everything about everything. I mean, I I have a couple of ideas that I think work a bit better than other people's ideas, but um, the majority of things, I'm open for anything to actually ensure that the player gets better because um, it's it's the player we're working with, and if they're successful, then by association, I'm considered successful as well. So So I think people know me from rugby primarily – because I worked with Daniel Carter and Richard McCaw, two probably the greatest rugby players that ever pulled on jerseys for the uh, Crusaders and New Zealand All Blacks. So, But if I hadn't had those two players running the cutter as far as uh, games are concerned, then probably people wouldn't even want to actually have a chat to me because uh, uh, they're the ones that drove, drove my career. And um, uh, hopefully I've assisted them somewhat along the way, but uh, they're the key elements.
0: You know, and I think that one thing too, because I'm so with you, it's not even funny when it comes to initially in a career being like, no, because this is what this says and that is what that says, so that is what we must do. And if you don't like it, then no, no, no. To now, I've got a guy who's at a big man camp who's like, yeah, I'm taking notes every day in the weight room and I'm going to bring everything back. You know, and like, he's a smart kid and he's like, you know, 90% of it is basically what we're doing, but some of these other things I want your input on. And I, you know, if you think it could help, like, I want to be able to help the team. And it's like having a kid like that, I think is priceless because he's Uh sitting there trying to bring something to you. Now it would be really easy to be like, you know go stick it, right? Because it's like, no, I know what I'm doing. You don't need to tell me. I'm the coach. You need to listen to me. Or, or you could sit there and say, oh, this kid could be a lottery pick. And they're trying to get him right. And they're doing these things with him that they think are important. And at the end of the day, if he thinks that doing a lunge that way versus the lunge the way we do it is going to make him that much better, is that the is that the sword you want to die
1: on? Uh, exactly. I, I, I love the way um, uh, Joe Ken talks about that the only thing that transfers from the weight room to the field is confidence. And, I mean, a, a truer statement hasn't been made, I don't think, so that, again, coming back to your example with the lunge, if him doing a lunge a different way to what I program the lunge makes him confident that when he plants a foot and turns up field that he's going to be more explosive, then go for it, man. I mean, it's um, it's it's all about it's all about game day, and um, I think that comes with experience over time. And um, I think that's where we get the wisdom, which is experience applied over time. And um, then we're not we drop our ego a wee bit. Uh, I think young coaches have considerable egos, whereas older coaches tend to. Allow their ego to down, dumb, uh, dumb down a bit so that they actually are open to new suggestions and new ideas. I would say that 80% of what I do is has been fairly fixed for quite a while, but I have a fluid 20% that can actually uh, experience different ideas, look at them, work them, apply them on myself, and then see, okay, yep, we can actually go with this or let's just take a little bit away so we can add a little value somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and I think that the other thing that people make the mistake of in those situations is they look at it as, like, weakness. Where, you know, you're just letting them run and do whatever they want. And it's like, I think that you would probably test this too. Like, the things that are important, they never say they shouldn't do. Some people say that things like either squatting or pulling or whatever hurt, Mm -hmm. which is different than, well, I shouldn't do that. Right.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, obviously there's some some basic movements, but how you do those basic movements is is the art that uh, we develop over time. Um, particularly with the advent of, say, specialty bars, that we can actually get certain people to actually do things they might not have been able to do with a traditional straight bar. So all those variants that we can actually put in place. And that's what, what's what I tend to do as soon as I arrive in a new program is to, to look at the weight room and see these are our major categories as far as uh, exercise selection is concerned. What movements do we have that we can actually fill in this category? And then suddenly we might have 47 different uh, hip dominant posterior chain lower body movements that we can actually program for. But, and then getting the players to actually say, well, of these movements, what are the five, the five best that you found that actually work the best for you? And they could be fairly standard. There could be variations on a theme, but then there the go-to is over a rotating cycle of say two to four weeks, as far as utilization of those movements are concerned, that the players start selecting more of the exercises for themselves that that they know work best for them, rather than me saying, right, you will do a back squat with a straight bar. And then because, I mean, a a friend of mine, Tony Brown, who was an all-black in the past and is now coaching, he said that after his first year in professional rugby, he was never even uh, close to 100%. His 80% fitness was his new 100%. So nearly every player is going to experience that. So we need to modify the exercises. So some people can't actually get their shoulders in a position to back squat anymore because they've been so – Bashed around, so the safety bar or the or the uh, cambered bar is going to be an ideal position to use.
0: No, I love that. I, you know, what I would be interested to, to ask you though is because we we kind of do that similarly, but we show yeah. the guys the battery and are like, if you can do this and load it, you can go to the next one, or yeah. you can continue to load this until like you know, like a goblet squat. Eventually. We either run out of dumbbells or like I can't put on any more weight so you can't hold me and the dumbbell. we got to find something yep. else. Um, so then it would be a front squat and then a back squat and then working that way. But none of the guys say that they shouldn't squat. And we get to pulling. None of the guys say that they shouldn't try to pull.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what you guys found too.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean I think that that's across the board because – I think the idea of having a progression and a regression as far as um, exercises for specific areas is, is a key element because sometimes coming out of a game, people, they may have used that exercise last week, and I think that's the adaptability of the program, is that um, as a strength and conditioning coach, if the athlete asks, says to you, said, oh, coach, I can't do this, if you can't immediately say, well, okay, let's do this, then they've lost a, a little bit of the trust that you had, they had with you. So, and I think the compliance factor is all around trust-based. So we talk about, I know Brett Bartholomew talks a lot about buy-in and the simplicity of buy-in is having trust. So that if you can't immediately say to that athlete, okay, you can't front squat the sport today because your your wrists are uh, banged up. Okay, let's go straight away and do a safety, safety bar squat instead. And having the ability to progress or regress across a continuum of exercise selection is the key to long-term programming and maintaining trust and compliance of the athletes in your program and in the success of your program because they'll still be able to squat or pull or whatever.
0: Oh, yeah. And even kind of twisting the words a little bit. So it's like instead of, hey, let's go, it's, well, what do you think about? All of a sudden, it's like, they know they're going to do that. Like, they came Mm -hmm. in. Like, these guys, like, uh, some of them try to play, like, the dumb as a box. But really, they're all sly as a fox. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're sitting there, and you're like, well, okay. You can't get back here, or you can't get right here, so let's put your hands there. What do you think about putting them there today and grabbing that? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. It's like. Yeah. And then they love that.
1: Exactly I think I've not come across too many players over the course of my career that that don't want to do anything. They all they all want to get better. I mean obviously some guys that some of the older players may sort of try and duck and dive as far as heavy strength programs are concerned but sometimes they don't probably need to. I mean I mean I actually read something about Tom Brady the other day and his band programs and things like that which again it's it's not my cup of tea, but it's Tom Brady for God's sake. If it works for him, do the job and get on the field and guide that team around the park. So uh, um, he's telling me I can't squat. That's fine. Let's we let's see what you do, and then basically we need you on the pitch. So let's go with that.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Changing the sentence structure from you can't to let's talk about what you can do mm-hmm. is worth yeah. its weight in gold. Oh, can do
1: rather than can't um, is is the gold as far as that's concerned, and because obviously we we all want to get our players to the end end of the week um, refreshed and ready to go, and um, whatever means it takes within our battery of exercise selection and and programming is is what's required.
0: No, I love it. I love it, and I think that that's a great spot for us to get out on. But before I let you go here, Ash. Where can people keep up with you? Where can they see more and where can they learn more about what you're doing?
1: And I've been very fortunate that I've been able to write a uh, monthly column for elitefts.com. And um, I just had one published the other day with elitefts about the physical characteristics that make up great rugby players. Um, I think a lot of the information can be applied outside rugby and particularly into American football and uh, any contact sports like uh, ice hockey and, and things like that. And, um, but they can actually contact me directly if they want to um, send something to me or ask a question on my email, which is just uh, ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at ashleyjonesstrengthcoach.com. And um, I don't have much of a social media presence. I, I tend to to basically just use that writing as my platform and um, then use email as much as possible. But I do promise that anyone contacts me, um, if it's a quick, easy one, they'll get a reply within 24 hours, but um, it could take a couple more days after that. But uh, uh, it's always an honor to be able to uh, chat to people and to uh, provide them with a, a different perspective on something that they may be considering as a problem for them at the present point in time.
0: Yes. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for what you're doing to continue to make coaches better. Thank you for doing all you've done, man. I truly appreciate it. And thank you for your time. It's uh, It's awesome, man. Thank you.
1: Thanks very much, Jay. It's been a great pleasure having a chat. And uh, as you said before we came on air, it's like
0: two mates just sitting down for a beer and uh, having a conversation. So I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate your time. People are going to love this, man. Thank you so much. Cheers, Jay. Thank you very much. Yeah. And a huge thanks to Ashley Jones for spending the time with us today. Guys, just open, honest, candid sharing from a man who's been in the game for quite some time, who's had some exceptional success being able to coach two of the best players ever to strap on cleats and play rugby. Ashley, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today and being so open, honest, and candid with us. And guys, make sure you're checking out his monthly column on Elite FTS. Ashley's putting out some great stuff through Dave's website. And again, if you you have any questions or want to reach out to him, it's Ashley at AshleyJones.com. Ashley, I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing to share and push the profession forward. Man, keep up the great work. It's truly appreciated. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.